0: Hello dear listeners, welcome to another episode of Topical with Michael Schaefer. It's me, Michael Schaefer. Thank you to everyone who came out to see my show in London last week. It was very cool to uh, do a show in London and to fill it up. So thank you to everyone who came out. I was also just in Glasgow over the weekend performing at the Stand Comedy Club, which was a lot of fun. I've performed comedy now... Oh, in in many countries, I've probably visited maybe 30 plus countries in my lifetime, and I have to say, I think the language barrier that I found hardest to overcome has been in Scotland, uh, particularly Glasgow. I I apologize to several of the hecklers who yelled out at me during my performance. Um, I really wanted to respond and engage with you, however... I don't know what you were saying, so I'm sorry that I couldn't engage with you. I actually had a very um, classic Glasgow experience because I just got back yesterday and then I received an email from the Scottish police in Glasgow um, saying that they thought that I might have witnessed an incident while I was in Glasgow and so I got in touch with the Scottish police and they said that um, there was uh, some sort of incident at my hotel in the early hours of Sunday morning, or as I described it, in the wee hours of Sunday morning. And these police officers said, hey, did you, um, did you witness anything or hear anything? Because it happened on your floor. And I honestly said to them, I didn't know anything because I was fast asleep and I didn't hear or or see any incident happening at the hotel. But I I sounded quite cagey over the phone because I couldn't really understand what they were saying. So they were speaking in their very thick Glaswegian accents being, you know, I think asking me if I had heard anything whilst I was staying at the hotel that night. And I had to keep responding and being like, um, what can you start that? Sorry, can you translate? So I think they thought that I was trying to uh, evade the the question, but really I just didn't understand what they were saying and I just I, I it sounds bad, but if you're a police officer in Glasgow and you're uh, interviewing someone who is not from Glasgow, you should offer an interpreter because I know that that is something that police officers often will say. They'll say, hey, if English is not your first language. You know, we can bring in... I've seen border security. We've all seen border security. You know, when like a a Vietnamese man uh, comes across the border to Australia and he's got a fish in his suitcase, which is um, just something that, you know, is, is is pretty common in Vietnamese culture. When they travel, you know, they'll put... Um, you know, they'll, they'll pack the socks, they'll pack uh, the jackets uh, and they'll, they'll pack the fish in the suitcase um, because that's, that's the gift they're bringing to their family. So when you watch Border Security, they're often prepared with translators. Um, sometimes they're not and sometimes it's just a, a border agent yelling at this poor Vietnamese man, um, why do you have a fish in your suitcase? You can't have a fish in your suitcase. What type of fish is in this suitcase? Is it under 100 uh, mils? Because then we can kind of put in a plastic bag and you can put it through as, as carry-on. So many questions, and often the, the poor man does not speak uh, English, and as a result, it makes for a very, very um, awkward, intense discussion, but fantastic television um, because everyone likes to see... A confused australian man try to explain to a confused vietnamese man why you're not allowed to bring uh, a piece of cod um, across an international border so sometimes they don't have the language uh the the interpreters at the border oftentimes they do and that's really handy because then they can get a vietnamese person to say in vietnamese uh cong car," which means no fish in, in Vietnamese. Uh, I don't speak Vietnamese, but I, I did learn that phrase because I, I used to talk about this as a bit on stage. So I know one phrase in Vietnamese, which is con con ca. So uh, if, I, if you ever see me, if you're a, if, if border security, I'm flying back to Australia next week. And so if border security need me, I can go around yelling con uh, con ca uh, when I arrive, just to help you guys save a bit of time. So, I guess what I'm trying to get at here is that the Glaswegian police uh, should have interpreters as well, because uh, no one understands the word they're saying. And when they were interviewing me over the phone and asking me if I had seen or, or heard uh, any violence whilst I was staying at my hotel over the weekend, I was, I finally felt empathetic to Mr. Nguyen, who, uh, you know, arrives in Australia uh, no, with no understanding of the customs protocols, not as anything that you can't bring in a banana, let alone um, a, a whole fish uh, that has yet to be gutted. I now understand what he goes through. I now under, I'm now now very empathetic to that situation because when you're being uh, interrogated and accused by an officer of the law and, and you don't know what they're saying and you don't know if you've done anything wrong, uh, it can be quite uh, confusing. And uh, it makes for great TV, but it's also uh, quite uncomfortable. So I now have this newfound respect for the good people who feature on border security and give us the entertainment we need uh, when it's a Sunday evening and you're flicking through channels and you come across Seven Mate and think, this will kill 45 minutes. So apologize, uh, apologies to the Glaswegian police um, I'm sorry that I couldn't be of any assistance, but I hope you catch the culprit. But I do think it's a very Glaswegian experience for me because I literally went there for two days and, and somehow was um, an already a witness to apparently a violent attack, which I think is a very Glaswegian experience. I really feel like I got to know what it's like to be a local there. I presume that if you are a local there, you spend most of your day uh, fielding questions from local police officers um, telling them whether or not you saw a, a person get... Uh, King hit uh, on the street last night. So um, it's amazing that the Scottish people can really kind of, it's amazing that Glaswegians kind of get anything done, uh, given how much time I presume uh, of their day is uh, uh, is being caught up uh, as witnesses to violent crime. Before we get into today's episode, I'm I'm very excited about the shows I've got coming up in Australia. I'm doing one in Narry Warren, a Bunjil place on the 21st of October, then I got a big one. It's the Homecoming show, Melbourne on the 28th of October. Uh, head to my website, michaelshaver.com. Tickets are already moving for both of those shows. So if you do want to come along, um, yeah, get the tickets quickly before they're all snapped up. Today, I'm really excited about this show as well. So today we're going to talk about the uh, amazing uh, conspiracy theories that are floating around um, on this uh, upcoming Voice to Parliament referendum you got to give credit where it's due to the no campaign because they have really managed to flood uh, social media in particular with just so much uh, misinformation but to the point where it's like impressive and creative that they've come up with so many different theories as to why people should vote no and as to why this is a, a trojan horse so talking about that, I'll be unpacking some of the great conspiracies that I've stumbled across over the last couple of weeks online. Meanwhile, uh, in New South Wales, uh, they're banning phones in schools. And i got to say, I think this is overall a bad idea. Uh, I remember when I was at school, we didn't have phones and that made it um, a lot harder to get bullied. You had to do your bullying the regular way um, by, you know, uh, punching people and putting their heads in in toilet bowls—that things of that nature—and then the you know when, when phones were brought in, all of a sudden you had the cyberbullying option as well, which was nice. Um, that was just a great way to take the bullying, uh, you know, online, you know, and, and and ensure that it could you know be uh, committed outside of school hours. So, look, this is really bad news for bullies. Probably um, good news for the mental health of of, of teenagers. Um, so I'll be talking about the pros and cons of that. Uh, before we get into that, of course, it's uh, we're now nine minutes into this week's episode. Not a real world record for the latest play of the intro music, but still a pretty good effort from my behalf. Um, we're going to get into the episode now. Before we do that, please enjoy the next 30 seconds. I, I really like the intro music. I, I I do think it's one of the highlights of the podcast. And you know, every week, I have fans uh, messaging me, saying like, to me, Michael, um, could you potentially uh, make the intro music longer? Could you potentially make the episode mostly intro music. Could it just be like you know maybe 40 minutes of intro music and 30 seconds of you rounding up the news of the week. Um, I, I find that very hurtful, but I, I do appreciate how much you enjoy the intro music. So please enjoy the next 30 seconds and then I'll be back shortly with the news. And one for them. podcast one for comedy. We are stripped down and ready to go. I'll never surrender. (laughs) But I ain't spending any time on it. Please explain. I'm going to, okay? Welcome back, guys. We've got uh, the big referendum coming up uh, very soon, next Saturday and... You know, people are always complaining about how, you know, the fact that we're no longer people are no longer reading books has destroyed our uh, imagination. How, you know, people these days are, you know, just on their phones scrolling constantly, and it and it dulls the mind, and uh, it makes you less creative when you're not kind of being stimulated with with words, but rather being um having pictures and just thrown at you constantly in this constant stream. People say it's had a really negative impact on our creativity as a species and our our capacity to imagine. But I will say this, the the people who are um, voting no in the upcoming voice to Parliament have some of the most impressive uh, imaginations that I have seen because, the amount of um, ideas that they are capable of coming up with seemingly out of nowhere, honestly, obviously it's a sign of you know mental illness and deep psychosis, but it's also a sign of tremendous creativity. I mean, I do think we have to remember that there is a clear link between uh, mental illness and being a very creative person. So, I mean, like I think Van Gogh is probably one of the greatest examples of that so this was a man you know if you Van Gogh, one of the most famous painters of all time and also famously was just uh, i think schizophrenic or bipolar something like that you know famously uh cut off an ear and sent it to a woman that he loved uh to as a way of, of of showing how much he loved her now i'm not sure if that's kind of you know what women want i'm not sure if I'm not a woman, so it's hard for me to relate to the female experience. What I do know is that women don't like to receive dick pics. So I can only presume that if they don't like receiving a picture of a penis in their phone that's been unsolicited, I can only presume that that receiving a box with a severed ear unsolicited would, would also be very very disconcerting. I know that when men send dick pics, they often try to, um, you know, show how large their penis is. So they they might have like small things in the picture in order to present the penis as as quite large in comparison. So if you're a man and you wanna do a dick pic, you know, you might want to just have some small things in the image to to make your penis look more impressive. Like maybe some like sesame seeds or uh, some cashews, um, small like poppy seeds, these types of things. Um, just small things that make your penis pop. If you are going to send a severed ear, though, you'd probably want to make sure um, that the ear. I think women like, like prefer small ears because big ears are, tend to be unattractive. So, if you are going to send a severed ear, uh, make sure to surround it by large things so that the ear looks um, not too big and unattractive. So, if you are going to do a severed ear, maybe like uh, maybe have a bowling ball in the package as well. Just so that uh, when your um, uh, hopefully future girlfriend receives the 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 severed ear, she goes, "Oh well, he's got he's got cute ears." Well, he's got one cute ear left. So, point that I was making is that uh, the people who are voting no on the upcoming voice to parliament have the uh, combination of psychosis and creativity that really we haven't seen as a species since Van Gogh was chopping off. Parts of his face and send them to loved ones, and they really are. You could argue the artists of our time. I mean, some of these, some of these conspiracy theorists, some of these like uh, you know Novo campaigners, the people on um, doing front-facing videos on TikTok, um, wearing you know red MAGA hats and um, yelling about the United Nations and vaccines, and um, prefacing every video by saying. Look, we'll see how long this uh, stays up on Facebook before it gets zucked by Meta. The people doing this stuff, they are really modern day um, artists in many ways. And their canvas, instead of using a paintbrush, they're using words. And their canvas is social media. And they are sending their, their um, neuroses and their um, imaginative... Uh, theories out into the world for us to consume and enjoy, and uh, if you're gullible, also uh, impact the way you vote in the upcoming referendum. I mean, if you're on TikTok, I, I highly recommend being on TikTok for the next ten days because it's, it's a lot of fun. It really is a lot of fun. It, I I haven't seen this level of crazy, you know, since the vaccine mandates are out and about. The level of crazy currently on TikTok Australia, if you just to search hashtag. Um, vote no on TikTok Australia. Um, set aside the rest of your afternoon. Put the kettle on. You're going to have a great day and share it with a loved one, I think, and enjoy looking at uh, middle Australia and enjoy looking at your fellow countrymen. Some of the things that these, uh, these people are, are spreading on social media, it's kind of funny. It is, it is kind of funny. I know that they're mentally unwell. I know they're mentally unwell, But also, that's still funny. It is funny when you're sharing videos on TikTok saying that uh, there's now going to be two questions in the upcoming referendum. That's funny because this is a genuine conspiracy theory being thrown around on the internet right now. There's all these people on the internet saying, hey, be careful that there's now going to be two questions on the referendum which i gotta say must be very concerning for these people because these are people who are not good at tests they're not i I can't imagine i don't think these people aced you know their year 12 exams when they were at school i don't think these are people who enjoy doing quizzes I, i think these are people who who see tests see exams and freak out and i think the idea of having a second question to now deal with on the on the voice a referendum is quite concerning to them. But what they think is, that they've been saying there's now going to be two questions. So they're saying there's going to be one question. And the first question is going to be, do you recognize Indigenous Australians? Yes or no? And then the second question will be, do you think they should have a voice in parliament? Now, their theory is this, that if you vote yes on recognizing Indigenous peoples, in like, yeah, I recognize them. I see them in the straight every now and again, I can recognize them. I know what Warren Mundane looks like. I know what uh, Anthony Mundine looks like. I know what Stan Grant looks like. I know what Adam Goods looks like because I booed him uh, relentlessly for a year. I can recognize the indigenous people, so I'll tick yes. And then when it comes to the voice, I'm gonna tick no. Their theory is that there's now gonna be two questions on the ballot. And if you tick yes to the first one, that will be taken as a yes for the second one. I don't know where these theories start, um, but it is a good one. I, I mean, I, when I say I, I don't know where they these theories start, I know where they start. They start um, with LSD usually, but it is a, a pretty funny conspiracy to come up with, because like you're gonna clearly get um, proven wrong on the day, like when everyone goes like if you believe that conspiracy theory, uh, and you walked in and saw the ballot and it just had the one question that you expected rather than the two questions that you've been freaking out about, you're going to, at that point, be like, oh, well, that guy was obviously wrong and he was insane. So I'm just going to, I guess, disregard all the bullshit that I heard in the last couple of weeks. So it's I find it funny when people come up with conspiracies that are just like provably and demonstrably wrong. But then again, again, I guess if you if you really are like really committed to your conspiracy theories... It doesn't really matter what evidence gets put in front of your face because when the mind is that far gone, it doesn't actually matter when you have uh, just compelling, real, objective evidence right in front of your eyes. It's easy to disregard and to rationalize away. So you might, when you, if you believe there's going to be two questions on the ballot paper when you walk in to vote and see only the one question, you probably think to yourself, oh, well, they gave me the correct ballot paper because they knew I was onto them. And they knew that if they gave me the ballot paper with two questions, I wasn't going to fall for that dirty trick. But they've given the rest of the country the ballot paper with the two questions. And so this actually just confirms even further the conspiracy around the two questions that I've already believed. The fact that they've given me one question only proves that I was right about the two questions being given to everyone else. So I guess that is my point about conspiracy theorists, is that you can't really save them with logic. You, you, they're kind of too far gone. You just have to enjoy them and you just have to observe them and have a bit of fun with them. You know, it's kind of like, you know flat earthers people believe that the earth is flat you know you can show them pictures of like the globe um you can ask them to like get on a boat and go and try to you know go to the edge of the planet and fall off the cliff into into the into the unknown um but at the end of the day they're never going to like actually believe it you can give them all the evidence they're never going to believe that the earth is round and that's fine. I think that's a relatively harmless conspiracy theory. I think believing that the earth is flat is kind of like that's that's fine. It's like believing that you know it's like believing that Taylor Swift is the most talented singer of all time. I mean, that's that's not true, but if you believe that it's it's kind of harmless, And I mean, I don't want to spend a lot of time with you, but it is a harmless belief to hold. So I guess the good thing about being a conspiracy theorist is like, it must be nice to like never be wrong. It must be nice to just never have to really question yourself. You know, it it must be nice having that level of mental illness and and self-importance and egotism that makes you feel like, you know, you're the only sane person in the world. I think that's i think that's kind of fun i guess what is upsetting for them is you know fearing a second question on an exam uh because you know like i said you know they're not really good at doing tests so i think the idea of having to answer two different questions could be confusing to them could be upsetting to them could keep could keep them very much awake at night i think maybe they should have just done like just to simplify the process even more for you know the the average you know Idiot out there who, who who doesn't really know what they're voting for or what this is all about. Could we instead of having like a yes or no, could there just be like a, a multiple choice, A B C D, you know, uh, way of voting on the voice to parliament? So you know, kind of like make it like make it like a game, you know, like millionaire hot seat with Eddie McGuire. Make it like make it like that. So you know. And if you go in and you've got four options and you don't know, you know, A is like vote yes, B is like vote no, C is like um, vote no, but I'm not I'm not racist, I'm voting no because I think this will divide Australia, that's C. And then D is uh, I'm voting no because I am racist. So if you give people those options, maybe that would be easier for them to kind of express themselves on the page. Um, it might simplify the voting process. I also think you could make it like, you know, millionaire hot seat where you also get to, um, you know, you got, you got some lifelines. So you can go in there and you've got the four options, A, B, C, D. And then you come out and say to the polling booth work, you say, hey, um, can I use a lifeline here? Can I do 50-50? And then they go, well, if you're using 50-50, um, either you want C or D. So then you go, great, I'm C or D. That's great. Um, or you could be like, can I call a friend? Uh, and then they're like, yeah, sure. And then you get um, Jacinta Price's number and you call Jacinta and you go, hey, Jacinta, um, I- I'm white and I want to vote no. Uh, I don't want people to think I'm racist. Can you let me know which one I should go for? And Jacinta was like, well, then just choose no. Just say vote no uh, and uh, you go for number C. You- you're voting no because you're not racist. Choose number C. So I guess my point is I think if we just simplified it with kind of like, a multiple choice um, scenario and you had some lifelines, I think that would simplify the whole process for these for these um, idiots out there who have no idea what they're voting for uh, and who think that there's going to be two questions on the ballot. Another great theory that I've seen floating around, and this is like a real classic one. It seems to bob up all the time, but uh, it's always related to the United Nations. There is a tremendous fear around the United Nations. Um, I'm not sure why. I feel like, they don't do much. Like there's a lot of fear that United Nations is like going to like, is trying to like set up this like globalist, this is like global government and everyone is gonna have to like cede sovereignty and we're all gonna be ruled by this single overlord dictator, you know, in the United Nations headquarters, which I think is in like Geneva or something. There's this tremendous fear about the United Nations um, and people think that if we, uh, vote, uh, yes on this referendum and we give indigenous people a voice to parliament, people are worried that now Australia will be ceding its sovereign power and the United Nations will take over. I know that's a hard, I, as I'm saying that I'm finding that hard to follow, um, but maybe that's because I'm an idiot, and maybe it's because, like, I'm not a conspiracy theorist who has all the evidence and who has been in the Facebook groups and who has who has done the research on the QAnon forums. I haven't. I'm coming at this, you know, from a very ignorant, naive perspective. So, as I'm saying these things out loud, they don't really make sense to me. But, dear listener, perhaps to you, you you perhaps you've done more research than me. Perhaps you're you you're more intelligent than me. Perhaps this is making sense to you. I'm just reading the things that I have seen on the internet out loud. And as I say them, they don't make a tremendous amount of sense. But ha- perhaps they do to you. I don't think that United the United Nations is I guess powerful enough or uh, capable enough of pulling that off because they don't seem capable of doing like anything really. Like they have they weren't able to stop Russia from invading Ukraine I feel like the last thing United Nations did really was I think they like killed some Nazis in Nuremberg after World War II I think that was kind of like the last time the United Nations really did much I mean they make reports they do lots of reports the United Nations they're big on reports they'll do like hey they'll release a paper that says oh hey um you know the climate change is bad and we're all gonna die um, or they'll release a paper and be like um, hey, please stop um, buying diamonds from Sierra Leone because uh, they're being mined by children uh, who are being brutalized. And we of course ignore those papers because you know we like uh, turning on the air conditioner and the heating during the day to see which one wins. and we like to, you know have nice diamonds. So of course we ignore those things. And the last time really United nations, I think really had an impact on the world on the culture was, was when they were, executing Nazis, which is like, you know, 80 years ago or so. That was really when they peaked. Um, that was kind of when they, they the United Nations were first formed. They were like, we're forming. First order of business, got to kill some war criminals. So I guess, you know, people in Australia are worried about the United Nations coming in and and, and setting up a a globalist government and and overtaking the country and establishing a dictatorship God, I mean I don't think you have to worry about that they haven't done much for like I said about 80 years um, you know killing Nazis is is kind of mostly what they do they haven't done that for a while it would be nice if they picked that up again it would be nice if the United Nations was like hey we're going to go back to doing we're going to back to our heyday we're going to go back to our roots we're going to hang Nazis um, I think that's what they should do and I think that's probably the only thing they have Shown that they're capable of achieving. And let's be honest, they didn't do it very well. Even, even the killing of the Nazis wasn't great. You know, they, they, they missed a lot of them. They, did, they didn't get all the Nazis. I mean, if I'm not sure how much you know about post-World War II history, but the Catholic Church got all these Nazis out of Europe and down to South America, Brazil, Argentina, so they could escape justice. And the United Nations, despite being a unification of all the nations of the world, couldn't get to the Nazis uh, in South America, despite these Nazis being located within nations. So I guess my point is that United you know, Nations, really all they can do is uh, kill some Nazis. That's really all they've shown they're capable of doing, uh, and they make reports. I just don't think that they have the power or the, the capacity uh, or the, the competency to establish a world government and overall Australia purely because we decided to vote for Indigenous people to have uh, a little body that would advise the government on certain issues without having any real power. I've, I'm always blown away by the idea that there are these huge government conspiracies and that you know there are these people in high places working together in a coordinated fashion in order to like disenfranchise people and seize their power. Because that's certainly happening on some level, but it's not like coordinated. It's just like happening mostly, you know, kind of just by accident or just like, you know, as a, as a you know, kind of like tangential to other policies. I mean, the idea that there is like this, uh, you know, cabal globally, or that, that is pulling the strings and controlling the world, or that, you know, the Australian government is you know being run you know by these this these these faceless group of people who are trying to start a race war and divide the country. It's it's giving the government just a lot of credit. The if you think the government is capable of starting a race war, if you think the government is capable of seizing land rights and seizing your human rights and overriding democracy, you're giving the government just a lot of credit. You're giving them a credit that they don't really deserve. I mean, if you look at our government, they don't have a track record of excellence. They don't have a track record, you know, of people who can pull these grand schemes off. I mean, for fuck's sake, like, we couldn't even build the NBN. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, the government, you know, tried to build, tried to give us the internet, which is something that pretty much every country in the world has uh very good and in australia they tried to give us the internet and uh, it took them like 12 years longer than expected and it's still shit. like i've been traveling around europe and i'm logging on to airport wi-fi for free and getting better download speeds than when i'm hooked up to the nbn back in my home in melbourne so the failure of the nbn I think should give Australians a bit of hope that, well, at least the government is clearly not competent enough to establish any sort of tyrannical regime that would seize our land rights and initiate a race war. I mean, if you can't even get onto your Gmail, the government is not going to be able to pull off this incredibly difficult, challenging conspiracy that would require kind of all government bodies to be working uh, efficiently and in unison. I mean, that's why I always found it bizarre when, for example, like during the COVID lockdowns and the vaccine mandates, I always found it bizarre when people would compare like Victorian government and the Australian government to the Nazi regime. Because I think that's extremely offensive to the Nazi regime. Because, I mean, say what you will about the regime. And I cannot stress enough, I'm not a big fan of, of the policies of the Nazi regime, particularly as a Jewish person, like I gotta say it would be, a, I'd be voting against my self-interest to support the Nazi regime. But you gotta say that ploch, they were pretty efficient. They, they, they were pretty, you know, they had policies and they fucking pretty much executed them pretty effectively, pretty well. So I think it's offensive to the Nazi regime to compare the Australian government or the Victorian government to them because, you know, the Nazis said, we're going to kill uh, millions and millions of people. And, you know, they, they did do that. They really hit their KPIs. Whereas in Australia, we're like, hey, we want to get download speeds up to 40 megabytes per second. And meanwhile, I can't even stream a fucking AFL match. So I guess my point is, um, take, if you're a conspiracy theorist and you just think that the government is trying to impose some sort of, um, you know, dictatorship and that the government is coming for your basic human rights and and your democratic freedoms, if you're worried about that, try to access the internet during, a you know, like like 5 p.m., on a on a Tuesday, okay. Just try try to try to to play Call of Duty, um, you know, at a when it's peak time. Try that because when you see the failings of the government and you see its incompetency firsthand and you experience it firsthand, and you remember that the NDIS is absolutely fucked, and you remember that public transport is fucked, and you remember that the NBN doesn't even get to the fucking node, when you remember all that, it should really fill you with a sense of calm that the government simply does not have the capacity and the competency and the expertise uh, to take away your basic human rights, take your land and sell to the United Nations. Last thing to talk about today is, is uh, the New South just this bit more of a, not perhaps let's say less of a culture war, but more of just like a, a really interesting discussion about what it is to be a teenager these days and how, how different it is. Because, look, I'm 32, so when I was at school, we didn't have like our mobile phones um, in the classroom or with us. Really, they would just stay kind of in our backpacks the whole day in our lockers. and we wouldn't really check them until we left school. And so you'd kind of just be offline for, for hours at a time. And so back in my day, you really didn't have contact with your parents throughout the day. The only way that your parents could contact you if you were at school was by phoning the school, speaking to the receptionist or someone, and then getting a message passed down to you in class. Now this would only ever be done if there was an emergency, if your parents had to contact you. So typically what would happen would be like, you know, a grandparent would die, you would be at school, and then you'd be sitting in, um, you know, year seven maths class, and um, Mrs. Sylvain would be, you know, showing you Pythagoras' theorem, and then there'd be a knock on the door, and the um, middle school, the middle school um, head teacher, uh, Sharon Stocker, would um, poke her head into the room, and then uh, beckon over your teacher, your maths teacher, uh, Mrs. Sylvan, and and they'd have some a hushed, quiet conversation at the door, and all the kids would be uh, very intrigued, and then Mrs. Sylvan would say, um, "Hey, um, uh, Jeremy." Uh, Uh, Mrs. Stocker needs to pass on a message to you. And this was always um, a bad sign because it meant that something terrible had happened because your parents wouldn't be calling the school if there was good news. Your parents wouldn't be like, oh, hey, we won the lottery. Let's let the kids know now. No, you'd find that out when you got home if you won the lottery. But if a grandparent died, they'd probably want you to know straight away so that you can feel sad straight away. So... What would happen is then, you know, Mrs. Stocker would then take you out into the hallway and this woman who was not being paid enough already as a teacher uh, would now have to be the bearer of bad news and would have to take on the role of um, being basically uh, the messenger, the harbinger of death. And uh, she would have to tell you that uh, your grandmother had a fall and... um, while she was in under the operating table there were some complications and now uh she's dead but the good news is you don't have to do your homework tomorrow so that's kind of what it used to be like without phones you it was a real burden for teachers because you know in in addition to their regular teaching uh responsibilities they would also have to let you know uh, you know, tell kids when their loved ones had died and they didn't get paid any extra for that. So I think that was a bit of a shame. Fortunately, now that kids have mobile phones on them all the time, fortunately, when a grandparent dies, uh, they can immediately receive a text message from the parent and the parent will say, hey, um, good news, uh, we can now send you to private school um, because uh, your, your grandmother Uh, is dead and was sitting on quite a nest egg for quite a while so that's now how it gets broken to kids because they got their phones at school but new south wales wants to go back to the old way of doing things so in new south wales they're going to ban phones in school which means that poor mrs stocker is going to have to start telling children that their loved ones have died once again and i gotta say i think that this is look it's good and bad i think it's Overall, good for the kids because my God, you know, kids are spending 16 hours a day on their phones, and that's you know perfectly understandable because phones are great. You know, you can go on them, you can you can find out um, which uh, you can find out you know how the United Nations is going to start a race war with the voice to Parliament. So there's heaps of great things about phones, and you can learn a lot from them. But I I think it's also Nice to not have the phone around at times for kids so that they can be present in the moment and actually, you know, maybe like have eye contact, you know, because now everyone, all the kids these days have, um, I know I sound like an old person saying kids these days, but all the kids these days, you know, they're all neurodivergent now, which basically saying they just can't make eye contact. You know, they've all got, you know, they're all on the spectrum now. They've all got autism or Asperger's or something. And I think it's got to do with the fact that they haven't made eye contact with a human being um, or at least for the first, like, you know, for the last 15 years, they basically haven't looked another person in the eyes. And so I think that just taking the phones away for a few hours at school could be very, very useful. Um, I will say this. I think that they should allow schools though. Uh, they, should allow, they should allow phones... Catholic schools, I think, just because we do know the types of things that go on at Catholic schools. We've had royal commissions into this stuff, and I just think it could be handy sometimes to have video evidence, if you know what I mean. Because a lot of the times, you know, it's like, you know, he said versus she said, or he said versus what the little boy said. And I just think it's very handy uh, to make sure there are cameras around so that next time, you know, for example, someone of the ilk of George Pell uh, gets accused of, um, you know, let's say raping a child um, 30 years ago, let's just say it might be nice if someone was able to um, have some 4K footage of the assault so it's easy to get justice in the future. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, feel free to give it a nice review on Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen so that other people can find out about it. Tell your friends about it if you'd like to share it with them. Uh, come see me live. Check me out uh, on YouTube, on Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. Uh, michaelschafer.com for all my tickets to my upcoming shows. Uh, I look forward to seeing you guys in Melbourne and Nari Warren soon. And I'm very excited to find out what happens in this upcoming Voice to Parliament. I'm looking forward to that week's episode because we'll get to find out um, what percentage of Australians are probably racist. Good night. Speak to you next week.